On this episode of Stories Behind the Grind, listen to my conversation with Rahit, founder of Playbook Media and the startup Playbook Podcast. We discuss how to find mentors when you're an entrepreneur and go in-depth on marketing advice for startups and small businesses, and even talk about what data-driven storytelling really is. Thanks so much for coming on the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. It's great to have you on. Not a problem at all. Thanks so much for, for having me on the show. Looking forward to, to this chat. For those who uh, don't know you, can you tell a bit more about your backstory and what you're up to currently? Sure. Not sure exactly where to start. So I come from a background of doing engineering and economics. Kind of found out pretty quickly that, I, that it wasn't really what I wanted to do, uh, which is always an interesting conversation to have with, with Indian parents. But essentially, I was uh, working in the corporate space for about, uh, I lasted just close to two years, jumped out and down to Melbourne to launch a startup called Stage Label, uh, which is a crowdfunding for fashion platform that I was running for about two and a half, three years. Over that time, we helped launch and grow about 150 different brands globally. After Stage Label, I joined up with a uh, not-for-profit organization in Melbourne called Startup Victoria where essentially I got to make up a lot of my role because we didn't have a CEO at that time and essentially just tried to meet with as many founders as possible to try and work out, you know, how I could help in terms of strategy or connecting them on to potential hires or co-founders or or investors. Uh, About two years ago, I launched my own podcast called Startup Playbook Podcast, which was essentially just gleaned from a lot of the insight that I was getting, which was there was a lot of people wanting to get involved in the startup space and giving advice uh, without really having sort of operational experience. And so I wanted to bring in uh, people that had, could at least talk through things that had worked or, or hadn't worked for them, but from a point of experience. And so that's been, as I mentioned, it's been running for about two years, about 90 plus episodes have been published. And off the back of that, I launched a growth marketing agency called Playbook Media, where essentially I get to work with really interesting startups and organizations to help them with, with growth and uh, sales fund optimization and, and all of those things. Seems like you've had a, quite a sort of an entrepreneurial journey after you graduated uni. Was that something you gravitated towards? Was there anyone in your family or, or friends that allowed you to mesh in with uh, that career? Yeah, I guess growing up, I didn't really like, Entrepreneurship wasn't really a word that was kind of spoken or, or really, you know, a career path that I really considered to any degree, even while I was at, at university. I've been really fortunate to have a mum who's always built things and, and tried to sell them. So I can remember, you know, back when I was like 10, 11, 12, I would go, to, go with my mum to market stores and just help her sell just random things that she was creating on her own. Um, and it, again, was just kind of a passion project for her. But again, I, I never really saw that as a, as a career. It wasn't until I got into uni and uh, what was called the Young Achievers Australia program, which was essentially part of my university degree. It was in course course as part of my engineering degree. And we had to start a business over the course of, I think it was 12 or 16 weeks, um, with the aim to like raise the share price from $2.00. And I think that for me was the really big sort of instigator to really opening my eyes into what startup and entrepreneurship was. And I tried to do things at uni. I, you know, randomly did a few things in high school as well, uh, which I don't really consider that entrepreneurial. Or I didn't really realize that it was entrepreneurial until I uh, actually talked to someone else on my podcast about it. But uh, yeah, it's just been, it, it wasn't necessarily something that I sought out to do. I very much feel like I, I kind of fell into it. But as soon as I got a taste of it, I just couldn't let go and couldn't really think of doing anything else. Yeah, I mean, your history to date proves that point in terms of jumping, 
I guess, jumping around and sort of piggybacking what you've done previously to launch the new thing that you're working towards? Yeah. And again, like, I mean, it's very easy to kind of join up the dots and kind of form lines looking back, but I can't say that any of the things that I've, I've done has had kind of a clear trajectory or a clear plan at that time. I've just followed things that I thought was the right thing to do. And sometimes they've worked and sometimes they haven't, but it's always interesting. Like I personally, I've never been one for, you know, massively trying to plan my career or anything like that. There's kind of big visions that I'm, or big goals that I sort of work towards, but there isn't, you know, I need to do this particular type of business or this kind of leads to this. It's all been very organic and yeah, just a lot of luck along the way more than anything else. I mean, that's sometimes the best way to be, to sort of have a bigger vision of where you want to go as a large concept, but also being agile enough to change what you're doing currently. Yeah, absolutely. I I think it's one of those things where I think a lot of people think that there's this one big idea or this one big thing and you just fall into that and that's it. But from my experience and from talking to a lot of other founders, a lot of it has been consistent sort of refinement of that idea or that kind of vision or more often than not, it's a multiple kind of different pathways that they can go down and for whatever reason, something just takes off and then they sort of focus on that versus intentionally going down down one path. That's not to say that that, that doesn't happen. I, I know a couple of people that fell into something like that as well, but which is why like, I think it's really interesting and I'm sure you, I'd be kind of really interested to get your views on this um, from having interviewed a few people as well there isn't really one kind of pathway towards things. Otherwise everyone would sort of do it. Everyone's out to kind of find their own, their own way and their own journey through this process. Yeah, I agree. Everyone's got a different backstory on how they've started, where they are. Some have started through necessity. Some have fell into what they're doing. Some have had one idea and follow it the way through. It really does vary. It varies on the person, person to person. So there's no, I guess, there's no recipe there's no exact formula. Absolutely. So, so I, I think, you know, the, the best thing that I've personally seen from, uh, or that I've personally gained from the podcast is because there isn't one kind of pathway. It's, it's just, you know, made it okay to kind of make mistakes and just know that I'm kind of on my own personal journey to, to figuring life out. And so instead of sort of comparing yourself to a pathway that someone else took or, or what sort of other people have, it just puts you in a much better state to, to kind of not really compare yourself to anyone else, but just understand that at some parts you're ahead and at some parts you're behind. But, you know, as long as you're moving forward, you're on at least the right sort of pathway. Are there any other um, key takeaways from the the VCs and founders that you have interviewed? Are there any commonalities between those guests? It really depends. So, I mean, with, with each of the episodes, I try and make them as personalized to the guests as possible. So, I feel like I take something away from each guest, whether that's, you know, something really tactical, like how they go about the hiring process or how they develop culture or how they sort of think about scaling their business or just kind of really thinking about how people just generally approach it or why people have made particular decisions and risk taking. So I don't know if there are kind of too many generalizations. I, I think the big thing for me is personally, regardless of people's success, everyone has moments of doubt and everyone has the ups and downs of that process. So I think, especially when it comes to starting a business or starting a podcast or doing any particular project, there are definitely moments of doubt and moments of, you know, where you question (laughs) what you're doing and whether it's the right thing. And sometimes it can feel very lonely 
to think that you're the only one who's kind of struggling or, or not making the right decisions or kind of making particular mistakes. But honestly, like everyone seems to be going through that process. So I think that, that for me is, again, the biggest kind of takeaway is there's no instruction manual to doing any of this stuff. And you've just got to hopefully find and, and talk to people that are a little bit ahead of your journey so that you can kind of learn from their successes and from their mistakes, you know, and hopefully just not try and repeat things. In terms of um, and having those people who are sort of ahead of you, do you have any mentors that you go back to that you bounce ideas off? I feel like I've, I've definitely had sort of mentors across pretty much every business that I've run. It's funny, I, I was actually paneling a session on young leaders in tech, and this was one of the, the topics that, that kind of came up as well. I think there's a tremendous amount of value in mentors, but I think a lot of the people, when they think about finding mentors, go about it the wrong way. So, you know, you'll go up to someone and who you sort of really look up to or admire and just ask them to be your mentor. Most of the mentoring relationships that I've had have been super organic, and it's just been a, almost a two-way relationship in the sense that it's not just me kind of taking something from someone, but me sort of providing something valuable to the mentors, even if that is just a different insight into an industry that they're already interested in. But to me, I've never had to ask someone to be a mentor. They've just been someone that I've been able to sort of call up and ask when things get difficult. And that to me is is kind of the perfect type of relationship. So, I mean, in my current business with Playbook Media, someone who was kind of a a mini mentor actually came on as, as a uh, partner of mine in the business. So Adir Schiffman, who is uh, the executive chairman of a publicly listed company called Catapult Sports. We were kind of just chatting about things in general and he actually wanted me to get involved with another business that he was thinking of launching. Um, and I told him that I couldn't because I had my own thing. And so he wanted to find out more and, and sort of ended up you know, becoming a partner in the business as well, which has been amazing to not just have kind of a mentor, but a business partner who has a sort of vested interest in helping the business grow as well. That's an amazing relationship. I think I've found the same thing in finding in, in terms of the people I found that I look up to who are sort of mentoring me, they all came around organically as well. I guess they all really start for me as, as discussions and just catch-ups and just friendly chats that morphed into a more sort of mentor-mentee role. Yeah, absolutely. And like I mentioned this earlier, like I just feel like I've had so much of dumb luck in my career that has just, just panned out. So when we launched Stage Label, we launched it at a competition called Startup Weekend, which I'm not sure you, uh, maybe you're familiar with it, but essentially it's a, it's a 48-hour hackathon where you kind of pitch an idea, you try and form a team, you try and validate the idea and then pitch to a panel of judges at the end. So uh, I flew down to, I was based in Sydney at that time, flew down to Melbourne, didn't really know anyone there, pitched an idea got nine people to somehow give up their weekend to, to work with me on this. One of the mentors that, that came in, I had no idea who he was, just gave some really, really good advice. And after the event, we sort of caught up for a drink and I just said, you know, I'd love to, if we continue on with this, I'd love to sort of, you know, just keep in touch and, you know, ask him questions and stuff if that's cool. Um, and he said, yeah, that's totally fine. And then I, I ended up looking him up because I had no idea who he was. And his name is Phil Boswa. He's the CEO of LifeX, which at that time had the world's most successful crowdfunding campaign. So I think they raised like 1.3 or 1.6 million in three days um, before they ended up cutting the campaign. And we were launching a crowdfunding for fashion platform. So there was already a a fit. And and he came into the room because he sort of heard that we were working on something that, that would potentially be interesting. So again, it wasn't anything like 
you towards me to reach out to him or anything like that. I think if people, you know, find what you're working on really interesting and it's something that they're, that they're already interested in, that's kind of half the battle. The next part of that is, do they sort of get along with you and do they want to give up their time or, or feel like it makes sense for them to help you? And more often than not, I think people are uh, generally pretty time poor, um, especially the type of mentors that you, that you want. But if you can, again, as I mentioned earlier, like offer some sort of value for them and it's not just a one-way exchange, it's a, a really great way to sort of build a relationship. For sure. And then, I mean, the, the next step is when you sort of outgrow your mentors in a sense or when the mentors you have are no longer fitting with what you're doing and then it's a matter of reaching out, establishing new relationships and moving on as well. I haven't had to um, do that at this stage, but yeah. just based on the people I talk to. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Like, you know, I think from a mentoring perspective, um, there are particular people that will be good. So, I mean, the, the best mentors are people that have done things that you are currently going through. And so, you know, specific mentors will be really good at sort of helping you with uh, go-to-market strategy or with helping you go from zero to one or helping you deal with sort of co-founder issues really early on. But as you continue to grow and scale, the just challenges of your business become very different and varied. And um, sometimes that means that, you know, you need sort of other people to to kind of lean on as well. And that's why, like, I've never been really big on having sort of one mentor that I go to everything with or even just a formal sort of mentor-mentee relationship. It's always just been, who do I know that I think has this problem or who can I sort of chat to who I think would be able to shed some light on this? And even I may not necessarily agree with everything that they say, but it's always kind of taking out what is and, and sort of isn't relevant me as well so I agree like I think over time that you know you lean on different people for things absolutely but I think that's just a sort of ongoing process mm, for sure definitely it's um ever-evolving learning is is a, is a lifelong endeavor you know learning from different yeah. people learning from taking action you know learning from reading books it's all um helps you sort of progress to where you want to be now, so through your work you've established what's called data-driven storytelling can you explain mm-hmm. a bit more about what that involves? Sure. So for context with data-driven storytelling, um, essentially what I love doing and, and what kind of I think my core skill set is, is really sort of trying to understand how do we make businesses grow and scale. Essentially what I've kind of seen from a, from a marketing perspective is that there are two sort of major extreme ends of the scale. One is being so heavy on the sort of branding and, and marketing in general that you really sort of neglect um, some of the finer details in terms of, you know, are we focusing on the right channels and and what's kind of the core result or the action that we're sort of taking off the back of this. The second kind of the other end of the scale is what is stereotypically known as the kind of growth hacker, which is so sort of quant driven that it's often very difficult to look past the specific metrics that you're focusing on, which also isn't, isn't a great thing. And so from my experience of, you know, working with a range of different startups and businesses and and helping them grow, I think the best combinations that I've seen or the companies that I've seen be able to grow and scale really quickly have been the ones that have combined the best parts of marketing and branding and storytelling with that data-driven approach. So, you know, being able to understand for the particular platform that you are trying to reach your audience in, um, you know, what's the right messaging at the right time through that sales funnel and how does that messaging change and evolve when you switch over different platforms or you're speaking to different segments of your customer base and things like that. So essentially the, the data-driven 
storytelling process for us is just how do we find ways to really engage with people? Marketing and you know Facebook and all of these other platforms are just so noisy. We do need to have some form of really engaging story or, or engaging sort of messaging that, that captures people's interest to begin with. But then just making sure that when it comes to marketing, it's so easy to, to throw um, money out the window, especially when you're working with startups, you have limited resources and you're really trying to get the strongest return possible. And so uh, where the data-driven approach comes in is just making sure that you're optimizing the, the spend or the resources and devoting them to the right channels based on the goals that you've set. That was a very long-winded way of, of saying how to use the best parts of sort of marketing and branding and combine that with data to, to help people get the, the greatest return possible. Now, I think it's a really important topic. A lot of even small businesses and those starting up on their journey, marketing is such a big factor. Getting leads in and getting your product out there is definitely probably one of the, maybe, not sure if you agree, but marketing is probably one of the biggest challenges that a, a small business or a startup faces in terms of trying to turn their um, product or service into, into revenue coming in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think again, like marketing is one component. So you need to have a great product to back that up. That's kind of the baseline. If you don't have a great product, there is no way that you will build a successful business because you just won't be able to retain customers. But from a marketing perspective as well, I mean, I wholeheartedly agree. I think one of the challenges is there are so many different ways to market a business. It can be really difficult for businesses to know where to start. And more often than not, so, for example, we get a lot of people coming to us at Playbook Media and saying, you know, how much money do I need to spend on Facebook ads for us? Or how much more money do we need to spend on Facebook ads for us to see a return on investment? And how do we set that up? And one of the, the first things that we do is actually have a look at their data because more often than not, instead of, spe- instead of sending, spending more money on running Facebook ads or, or paid acquisition channels, they have a, a major issue with conversion on their website. Well, their pricing isn't quite right. And so, you know, you can optimize a lot of the things at what's called kind of the top of the funnel, which is have that initial touch point with people and how do you sort of drive them to the landing page or, or to different kind of actions that you want to take. But if you can't effectively convert them, a lot of that money just goes to waste. And so part of the, the process for us is just really understanding what are the different steps that the customer needs to go through for them to actually take the action that we want them to take. And sometimes that's a purchase. Sometimes that's just, you know, leaving their email address, but just really going through what's the, the user journey in a sense and what are the different touch points and how do we just make sure that each part of that process is working as effectively as possible so that there isn't any wastage or leakage of money or, or resources that are preventing the business from growing. Do you find then when you've got a, I guess, a system in place, do you test components of that, like you said, touch points and where there's, I guess, leakage in terms of customer retention? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the way that we kind of set things up is we collect data on each part of that process to work out what are the conversion rates. And, and again, from our perspective, it's if possible, how do we try and remove some of the different parts of the process as well? Because again, it's just a numbers game, really. And the more steps you have in the process, the lower the the conversion um, actually becomes. So from a lot of our process, it's a lot about testing of different sales funnels at each individual part of that funnel as well, just testing different things. So for example, for a particular type of business, we might run a static image versus a video ad versus a carousel ad just to see what do people engage with the most as an initial starting point. 
And then as a secondary step, you know, once people have, been, have engaged with us and we want to sort of retarget to that audience, you know, working out, is it better for us to give them an offer like an ebook? Do we want to run a webinar specifically for them? Again, that is constantly tested. Even things like testing the different types of targeting and, and things like that and the messaging that goes with it as well, all makes a, makes a huge takes a huge part of that. So although a lot of people think, especially with something like Facebook, that you can just kind of turn it on and leave it, and you can to a degree, things saturate very, very quickly on that platform. So there's a lot of sort of constant updates and changes that you need to make to ensure that you're continuing to get results and and things aren't sort of blowing out in terms of costs. There's sort of an industry standard on how often those ads and and retargeting should be updated, you know, every three months, every week, every month. Does it really depend on each business and what they're offering? It really, really depends. Like there are so many kind of nuances involved in this. It kind of depends on what you're trying to achieve as well. So if you're just looking for some branding and awareness, having that frequency and having sort of a consistent messaging might be more relevant. If it's to actually get people to engage or to collect a lead uh, and things like that, you'll often need to to change that up as well. And uh, more often than not, it's really useful to segment out your audience. So for example, we might run a particular ad to cold audiences. So people that haven't come across the brand or just haven't had any sort of touch point with the business at all and run a specific type of ad for them. And we might do that for a period of two weeks. But during those two weeks, anyone that has seen or engaged or clicked on that particular ad, we can then run a segmented uh, Facebook ad that's specifically geared towards them. So if someone has clicked on a particular ad, that tells us there's at least some level of engagement and they're interested. And especially if they haven't purchased, so you know, you would want to target people that have clicked through but haven't purchased on that product and run a second sort of segment of that, a different type of ad for them. And so um, because that's a small audience, you'll probably need to refresh that a little bit more frequently. We generally work to either one or two week cycles, again, just based on what we're trying to achieve. So we're updating things almost on a, on a weekly basis, sometimes even more frequently than that. But there's no real hard and fast rule. I would just say the really great thing about Facebook is that you can see a lot of the data coming through. So you want to give it at least, I'd say, three to four days, especially when you're launching a new campaign, just to give it enough time to, for the machine to actually learn and sort of optimize things on your behalf. But after that point, if you're, if you're kind of seeing things, you can see if something's working or not working. And if you're sort of seeing the results are dramatically starting to change, it's probably time to change. Thanks for the really, uh, really in-depth answer to that question. Sorry, I can talk for hours about, about Facebook. And <laughs> no, no, really valuable. I mean, like I said, marketing is such a, a big component of a business's sort of set up to begin with. And I guess throughout its whole life cycle. And it's good to yeah. know there are sort of, like you said, there's no sort of, you can't just set and, set and forget. And it's becoming harder and harder with more, uh, more companies pumping more money into Facebook and, and Instagram. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you were kind of mentioning Gary Vee before we started the, the recording as well. And I think that's, that's something that he kind of often talks about as well as, you know, how do you get like getting, what does it call it? Awareness of customer, customer attention, sorry, is, is like the most critical thing. And so to me, I, I think marketing just comes down to how are you able to capture people's interest? And when you have their, have their attention, how do you take them through the process or how do you make them take the action that you want them to take and, and how do you want to make them feel and, and all of those things. And there's, if you don't come from a marketing background, it can seem really easy and straightforward and to a degree it can be. But again, as I mentioned, to, to kind of really 
have kind of really high performance at scale, you really, really need to be kind of on the board. And there's just things that are changing and moving so quickly that it can be often hard to, to kind, of, kind of keep up with all the different changes that are happening. Yeah, marketing is a skill like anything else, really. And there's quick ways to do it. Um, and then there's effective ways to do it. I guess I'm sure you've done a lot of um, a lot of research, a lot of testing in your field to get the sort of level of knowledge you have now. Yeah, so I, I never really studied. I don't think I've ever done a marketing course, but a lot of my learning and, and just the way that I learn is just to be really hands-on and try things. So a lot of the time as a business, we, we try and almost use ourselves as guinea pigs for things and understand what works and what doesn't work and what are kind of the latest changes to different platforms so that when we are coming up with new campaign ideas or, or different things or just trying different channels for, for our clients, we know what works. And also one of the beauties for me and, and one of the reasons why I also wanted to start this business was just the sheer amount of learning that you can get and sort of apply to, to different clients based on something that you would do for someone else is, is massive as well. So you know, not only do we get to test things on ourselves, we also are continuously sort of learning about how different strategies or, or different kind of approaches are working on different channels and then being able to sort of apply that knowledge to all the clients that we work with. So what's the next stage for your business? Where do you see it going? Uh, where do I see it going? Again, with Playbook, so I didn't really have any intention of, of launching this business. When I, when I left Startup Vic and I was trying to do, uh, well, I was doing my podcast, I was trying to figure out what my next step would be. And for a really long time, I actually thought that would be in venture and being able to work with a portfolio of companies and just through some distribution that I have with my podcast, being able to help with developing pipeline and deal flow for the, for the VCs. It turned out that um, most of the VCs at that time weren't really looking for, for someone to, to take on that role. And I knew that I wanted to be kind of really hands-on. So at that time, I just had a lot of people that were reaching out to me, just asking for general advice. And I said, you know, while I've got some time, I'm more than happy to sort of help you and figure things out. And I sort of realized that it's something that I really love doing and I wanted to see if I could build a business around that. So even kind of the genesis of, of the business was very accidental and more geared towards other people telling me that this was something that they wanted and me being able to sort of fulfill that need. In terms of what's next for us, to be honest, I'm, I'm not really sure. I've got some pretty big goals with where I want the, I, where I want to take the business. And my dream with this has always been to be the go-to place for, for the business across uh, anyone who's looking to build a successful, scalable business would want to come and work with us. I think that's kind of the, the great goal and the, the ambition that we have. And there are particular sort of, uh, things that we need to, to make that happen. But in terms of specific goals and targets, I'm, I'm not really one to kind of set that because there's so much that, that changes for the better and the worse through that process. So I think it's just continuously trying to improve month on month in terms of what we do. But yeah, in terms of what's next, there's a terrible answer that I don't really know. No, stay tuned. Um, <laughs> stay tuned, absolutely. <laughs> a question I'd like to ask all guests is what's your definition of the grind? I think to, to a degree, like, you know, words like grind and hustle and things like that have been given kind of a negative connotation in terms of people just taking that to the extreme. I think the grind to me is just understanding that to do things to a really high level, uh, you need to do things that aren't always 
fun or difficult. I'm sure you have this with a podcast, but for me, I edit and kind of do, do all of the different components of my podcast. And, you know, that often meant that for a weekly show, I was staying up until 2 a.m. just editing interviews because I had to go out on Tuesday mornings. And to me, like, that isn't really fun, but I think it's, it's doing those difficult that other people aren't willing to do or don't really see the value in that really gives you the potential to do something really special. And so the grunt to me is just doing the hard things even when you don't want to is probably the short answer. Mm. Sage advice, for sure. Where can people find more about you and um, the, the Startup Playbook business? Sure. So you can find the Startup Playbook podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or the website is startupplaybook.co. Uh, Playbook Media, the growth marketing agency. The website is playbookmedia.com.au. My email, I'm always happy to, to chat with everyone, is uh, rohit at playbookmedia.com.au. And I'm on all the socials. So LinkedIn, Twitter is, I think, Rohit Pagava7. And Instagram is Rohit underscore Pagava. Um, there's another marketer who's got all of my names on the different platforms. I wasn't able to keep it consistent, which I'm really annoyed about. But I'm sure that will get fixed up at some stage. Thanks again, uh, Rohit, for coming on the, uh, the Stories Behind the Grind podcast and um, all the best with the rest of this year and you continuing to iterate uh, what you do. Thank you very much for having me on the show, Aiden. And um, yeah, looking forward to, uh, to seeing where you take the podcast as well. Thanks. If this is the first time you've listened to the podcast, I appreciate you for stopping by. Please subscribe. Otherwise, if you took away valuable advice from this episode, I'd love for you to share it with others. Until next time.